Not too long ago, it felt good to withdraw your cash from the bank, didn't it? For a vacation or a new car. But today, withdrawing your own cash has become risky. Pat Boone here for Swiss America. According to The Secret War, a new Swiss America white paper, I learned that all banks are now required to spy on you and me for the government and then report any financial behavior deemed suspicious or unusual. You must read The Secret War. It's free. Truth is, I believe the government's new war against cash is really a war against us all. But The Secret is now out. So please, get and read The Secret War. Pick up your phone and call right now. 800-932-5517. 800-932-5517. Once again, that's 800-932-5517. gentlemen, live from the West Coast, it's time for Ring Talk Live Worldwide, your inside look into combat sports. So let it be written, so let it be done. Brought to you by the WBO, the World Boxing Organization. Pull up some dust and sit down. And now, the host of the longest running fight show in radio and internet history. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior I engaged in. Pedro Fernandez. My advice to you, start drinking heavily. Damas y caballeros, bienvenidos. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the multi-million dollar sports byline studios. Not, check it, but this is Ring Talk Live Worldwide. 35, make that 36 plus years now. You're inside look into the world of combat sports. Hello once again, my name is Pedro Fernandez. Of course, this will be combat sports Especially, uh, we're going to talk heavyweight champions this hour. That's right, boxing's heavyweight champions. If I can get through with this entire hour, I'm going to try to do it in one hour. But it might take two. The bottom line is my interactions with every heavyweight champion from Floyd Patterson on. I kid you not. From Floyd Patterson on, we'll talk about that in depth. My interactions with them, of course, the good, the bad, the ugly. I'll throw it all out there. We'll see what it says. Bottom line is we're having a good time today on Ring Talk Live Worldwide. You can join me via the text line, studio text line. You can text us here in the studio. The number, one 215 Studio text line, once again, no commitments, baby. You don't have to call and get your get on the air. People get nervous. When they talk to me, they get nervous. Remember, Colin Seymour of the San Jose Mercury News did a story about, I guess, uh, 10 or 15 years ago. People said they were actually scared to call me, scared to call me. They said that, you know, I might chew them up or spit them out. Or we had that one gag there for a while. We were flushing people down the toilet. But those are only people that were absolute idiots. And I know you're not an idiot. So if you want to give us a call on the text line, you can. Text number, once again, one four one five two seven five one six one three. That's one four one five two seven five one six one three. So sit back. Enjoy the hour. We're talking heavyweight champions and Pedro Fernandez today on Ring Talk Live Worldwide via the Sports Byline Broadcast Network, iHeartRadio, Sirius XM, Satellite Radio, Channel 211, and of course, the SB Nation Sports Network. You're tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide, a Sports Byline production. At the Attitude Dance. Decision now. Let's listen. 
clarity in the world of professional boxing is spelled WBO. That's right, the World Boxing Organization is boxing's only transparent sanctioned body. You can follow the WBO on Facebook or check out their website, WBOboxing.com. That's WBOboxing.com. The World Boxing Organization. Attention self-employed individuals, 1099 independent contractors, and small business owners. If you missed the first round of funding from the Coronavirus Relief Program, you now have a second chance. But do not delay. Funds are limited and you need to take action right now. Thanks to new federal funding, you can receive an advance of up to $10,000 deposited directly into your bank account without ever talking to a bank. We're SBAQuick.com, and we're here to help. Call 888-SBA-NOW-8 to speak with a representative and learn if you or your small business qualify for funding. There's no obligation and no banks to deal with, so don't miss this opportunity. Call 888-SBA-NOW-8 and learn instantly how much money you can receive. That's 888-SBA-NOW-8 or visit SBAQuick.com. Call 888-SBA-NOW-8 and learn instantly how much money you can receive. At 28, I had struggled with opiate and meth addiction for 12 years. I did and said things that the sober me never would have done. One day I realized I was not invincible. I was not exempt. And that's when a friend told me about elite rehab placement. They gave me the tools I needed to get sober and... All it took was the one phone call. Elite Rehab can help you start to break your addiction problem and get sober in as little as seven days. And we'll work with your insurance provider to help cover the costs. Plus, we have travel assistance programs to get you here by plane or train. Make this free call right now to learn more. 800-403-5912. 800-403-5912. That's 800-403-5912. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy esports app for player props, and they are currently offering contests for CSGO, Dota, and League of Legends matches. Choose five over-under props for a player's stats to build your lineup. The riskier your choices, the more your selection is worth. They've already awarded over $1.2 million, so rack up the most points for your chance to share the prize pool. Download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or Play Store or by visiting their website, thrivefantasy.com. Use a promo code AI at sign up today for an instant free $10 credit. That's Thrive Fantasy with the promo code AI. Come prop up now. Down goes Frazier! Down goes Frazier! Down goes Frazier! The heavyweight champion is taking the mandatory eight count, and Foreman is as poised as can be. Now, more of Ring Talk with Pedro Fernandez. I'm getting tired of people running from me in the ring. Mike Tyson, uh, Holyfield, you a bunch of bums. Stand up and be a man and fight a real fighter. May of 1989, George Foreman and myself, of course, together for the FNN broadcast in Galveston, Texas, right outside of uh, Houston. Nice place, no doubt about it, right on the water. I mean, it's beautiful places you're ever going to see. And, of course, J.B. Williamson, the former cruiserweight champion, providing the opposition. George Foreman stopping him pretty quick. But that wasn't my beginning with George Foreman. Of course, George Foreman was born George Edward Foreman. 
fantastic guy if you really want to talk to him straight up about street stuff back in the 60s he was a guy i mean he had the street act down i kid you not when i first met him at newman's gym i guess it was about 1968 he came into the gym and he was like a big black thug i mean that's what he was like a black panther type of dude but just big black and mean i mean i'm mean i'm george and he used to beat up guys who were smaller than him i mean guys like my size 165 pounds and things like that i just say to myself that dad, that was with my father. I said, Dad, that don't look right. He goes, he's a bully, son. He's a bully. He's a bully. And of course, this was George Foreman before he won the gold medal in 1968. And of course, he won the gold medal in 1968. Of course, became the guy waving the flag down there in Mexico City when the other three black uh, African-American athletes, of course, those track, track stars decided they were going to protest. George said he would go along with the program. Sort of, uh, I'm going to say, sort of what George was all about, going along with the program as long as there was a dollar involved. Of course, he became world heavyweight champion. Pretty, 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 how can I put this? Just a mean guy. But when he came down to earth, it was it was ghetto talk. I mean, it wasn't this, this golly gee whiz, you know, Burger King type of stuff, that, the Wendy's type of stuff that you put the meat on. Like, no, no, that, 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 I didn't see that George Foreman. I saw George Foreman, the mean guy. Okay, and then I remember he went over to Africa to defend the World Heavyweight Championship against Muhammad Ali. Of course, he was a prohibitive favorite in that fight. He should have knocked Ali out, allegedly. Ali was an old man, tired, stunning. I mean, he had won the title in 1964. This was 1974. This was 10 years later. I mean, Ali couldn't do it, yet Ali did it. Ali knocks him out. So George Foreman, of course, goes into retirement after one more fight and one or two more fights and comes back in 19, late 1990s, decides he's going to, early 1990s, decides he's going to challenge for the World Heavyweight Championship one more time. So that's how I got involved with him. 1989, we did this fight in Galveston, Texas. Then after that, we got together for a couple of fights in California. And of course, the big event that we had in Sacramento, California, when Big George showed up for an event up there, he wasn't the, how can I put this, he had sort of lost the, the, the meanness at that point in time. It was all a golly gee whiz, a hamburger type of guy and all that kind of good stuff. But I think the, the one thing that stands out as far as the, the life and the career of George Foreman to me was when he stood on that, ho- on that uh, hotel balcony about 11, 10 or 11 stories up off the balcony. And, of course, he, had, he was a big fan of German Shepherds. In fact, that's what sort of made him the enemy of the black people, the black natives in, 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 in Kinshasa, Zaire, Africa, because of the fact that he brought these German Shepherds with him. I mean, German Shepherd dogs, the only ones that had German Shepherds in, in Africa were, were the slave owners. So George comes over there, going to, you know, bring his German Shepherds. George, this is not a good thing, man. You know, German Shepherds are owned by the white folks that are like, like enslaving people over here. But George didn't care. George, George was George. Okay. So he brought that dog with him. But when you put that dog up on the balcony of that hotel and he got George and he got the dog, he, he bet somebody, uh, Ron Weathers was there. Ron Weathers was his former manager and now still living in Texas, I believe. But Ron Weathers was there and Ron told it to me just like that. George got the dog up on the, on a table right next to the edge of this balcony in this hotel, and he ordered the dog to jump off, and the dog jumped off to his death. I kid you not. So George Foreman, he may be the nicest guy in the world when it comes to burgers and all that kind of good stuff, but as far as his uh, outside-the-ring attitude was concerned, for the most part, I mean, yeah, after the 90s, it was sort of cool and the burger kind of kind of stuff, but before that, he was ghetto, baby. 76 and 5, 66 KOs, of course, only got stopped one time. Give him props, no doubt about that, coming back, being able to survive like he did. And of course, the, the, the big fight, knocking out Michael Moore to regain the World Heavyweight Championship. Not too many guys can do that in an advanced age. He did it. He suckered Moore in. Of course, Moore wasn't the most dependable guy when it came to chin and concentration, but at the end of the day, George Foreman was 
the world heavyweight champion again. And, of course, the guy that he took on after that, wow, remember this? Tommy the Duke Morrison. I'm going to mention Tommy the Duke Morrison as the heavyweight champion because by beating Foreman, essentially he was the linear world heavyweight champion. Of course, Morrison, all kinds of headaches as far as his career was concerned because there was a lot of chemicals involved. When I say chemicals, I mean Flintstone vitamins, steroids, cocaine, uh, he, he did it all. I mean, he was just—he was a mess. Anyway, let me give you a little, a little background on him. Of course, he was an outstanding amateur fighter. I think he had like 263 knockouts and 283 wins. Only lost like a handful of fights. I kid you, you know. What I mean, he was the real deal. Supposedly, uh, reputed to be the the grand nephew, of course, of John Wayne. John Wayne being the big Hollywood star back in the 60s and 70s. Anyway, the Duke is what they called him. Of course, his final record was 48 and three. Got stopped three times, 42 KOs. But I remember he was on a streak and he was rocking and rolling and. Of course, he ran into Ray Mercer. That was in 1990. And if you look at that fight on videotape, you see me running up to the ring. I'm the one that's screaming at Larry Hazard, then and now the Athletic Commission Director for the state of New Jersey. You see me raving, screaming at him, Larry, stop the fight, stop the fight, because I just watched a guy die a few months earlier. Okay, I mean, I, I know when, you can tell when a Grim Reaper, the Grim Reaper is in the room at a boxing match. You can feel him. You can smell him. You know he's there. And he was there that night when Ray Mercer, of course, was knocking Tommy Morrison all over the place. So I ran up on the ring, stopped that fight. I felt, wow, saved his life. All right, give me a little props for that. And then, of course, we fast forward. Five years to 1995, June of 1995, and Tommy the Duke Morrison is HIV positive. So he's not telling anybody. Evidently, he tested positive in 1989 for the first time. But it's 1995. We're in June. We're in Kansas City, Missouri. Of course, he's going to take on Donovan Ruddock. I'm working the TV with uh, Bert the Hat Sugar. Of course, formerly of Ring Magazine, a boxing icon, a historian. What can I say about Bert that hasn't been said? Anyway, so we're working the fight together, and, and Morrison ends up knocking, ends up getting a quick stoppage, I think, on Razor Reddick in about the fifth or the sixth round. Of course, he had been rattled a couple of times, but at the end of the day, he was a winner. And the last time I saw Tommy to Duke Morrison, he was laying on a bed in a hotel in Kansas City. And he was laying on the bed, and this guy was wearing gloves and stitching up his, his eyes. He had cuts above his eyes, okay? And I'm saying to myself, me, I'm from San Francisco, and knowing a lot about the transmission of AIDS and things like that. I mean, I was all hip to the AIDS the AIDS epidemic here in San Francisco. No doubt about that, being a single male and, of course, being a police officer as well. So I knew it. Uh, the trend messing around with blood was all about. So when I saw this guy, you know, stitching up Tommy's eyes and Tommy bleeding all over the place there on that bed, I was saying to myself, man, lucky he doesn't have AIDS. I was saying to myself, yeah, well, guess what? He did have AIDS. And of course, that led to his retirement because of the fact he came to Las Vegas and said he was going to fight. I forget who he was going to fight, but he was fight a big fight for Don King. And they said, he's not going to fight. 1995, you're not going to fight. You're not going to fight. You're not going to fight. And why? Because we want a blood test. And he wouldn't give him a blood test. Said he was scared of needles the whole nine yards. He finally had to give him a blood test, and he came back as HIV positive. Of course, after the fight, or after that uh, disclosure, he came out and said he lived in an irresponsible lifestyle the whole nine yards, blah, 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 and I apologize for that. But the sad, tragic end to Tommy the Duke Morrison, that, it really bothered me the way he died because he was in, in denial. <clears throat> as far as the HIV was concerned. And when I saw a picture of him at the age of 40, I was going to try to get him out here on Ring Talk Live worldwide. I saw a picture of him, I guess about 2010, 2009, um, of him at the age of 40, and he was like, he looked like he was 90. I mean, I was just absolutely blown away by it. So I said to myself, this is a guy I need to get on the air before he goes. What happened? He was dead a couple of years later. Bottom line is, Tommy the Duke Morrison <sighs> went the hard way. 
You are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide. You're inside looking the world of boxing, MMA, of course, live on the Sports Byline Broadcast Network, Saturdays and Sundays. This is a Sunday edition, 11 a.m. Pacific time. We're doing heavyweight champions, and uh, what can I say? Tommy Morrison, I would have to give him some props as heavyweight champion because of the fact that he did, did beat George Foreman. George Foreman was the linear world heavyweight champion, having knocked out Michael Moore. So you sort of got to give it to the guy, whether you whether you want to recognize him in that as, as a heavyweight champion or not. You know, there are people like Tim Withers, Spoon, of course, that, that might be recognized as world heavyweight champion because he held fringe titles and things like that. Ernie Terrell, of course, was the first guy to ever hold a fringe title back in 1965, 66. We'll talk about Terrell and more after the break. Heavyweight champions are on the menu today on Ring Talk Live Worldwide. You're tuned in to the Mighty Sports Byline Broadcast Network. If you or a loved one is suffering from a physical or emotional condition that has left you unable to work, then listen carefully. Take this number down, 800-593-7491. That's 800-593-7491. When you call, you'll speak with a Social Security disability expert and get a free evaluation to see if you may qualify for disability insurance benefits from the U.S. government. That's right, a monthly cash payment paid directly to you from the Social Security Administration. Whether you're applying for the first time or you've already been denied disability benefits, call now. The disability attorneys at Pinnacle Disability can help you build your case, file an appeal, and represent you at no upfront cost to you. Don't wait another minute to see if you may qualify for your Social Security disability benefits. Call Pinnacle Disability Group at 800-593-7491 for your free case evaluation. That's 800-593-7491. 800-593-7491. Call now. Attention to anyone that's written a book or wants to write a book. The process is not that complicated. Take a first step. Even if you write a page a day, you'll build momentum and your book will become a reality. The hard part is getting it published. That's when you need to call Page Publishing. They've got hundreds and hundreds of thank yous from different new authors just like you. They make the process of publishing your new book and getting it sold online a simple process. You can learn how simple it is right now by calling for your free page publishing new author submission kit one quick three-minute phone call that's all it takes to get free information and learn how you can get your book published pick up your phone right now and call us 24 hours a day at this number 800-603-0885 800-603-0885 that's 800-603-0885 Hey, travelers, do you want to save money on your next flight? Then pick up the phone and call. That's right, call, because the best prices are not online. They're with SmartFares. See, SmartFares has special deals with the airlines. When they have unsold seats, they use SmartFares to fill them. So you get airline tickets at ridiculously low prices. Our prices are too low to publish online. With the extra money you'll save, you can book another trip or treat yourself to dinner or shopping. 
So stop searching all of those travel sites to find the lowest price on your next flight. Let one of our SmartFares expert travel agents find ridiculously low prices for you. Call SmartFares today and get the best price on your next flight. Guaranteed. Also, save up to 50% off business and first class tickets. 855-325-1780. 855-325-1780. That's 855-325-1780. This night, the referee is going to be the most important man in the ring other than the fighters. You in here? You in here? Huh? Come on, Roy. You got to, Johnny. You got to f***ing do it. You got to do this And Roy is doing everything, man. Come on. Norman Stone just called his fighter Roy. Talk with Pedro Fernandez. Wow! Wow! Little East Bay Soul back from the break. Check them out, eastbaysoul.com. Of course, Greg Adams, Westmore High School, Daly City, California, class of 1968. Man, he was ready to go to the Joliet School of Music and he decided to join Tower of Power instead. Now, you heard that clip coming in there, of course, Smitty. Smitty was John Ruiz's corner man. I televised that fight. Larry Merchant was doing the domestic feed. I was doing the international feed, my, myself, and I think Bob Sheridan. Of course, I'm talking about John Ruiz and Evander Holyfield. And right now, we're looking at Evander Holyfield, the real deal. Of course, the Olympic bronze medalist from 1984, 44 and 10 as a pro, uh, tw- two draws and 29 kills a stop twice. Of course, man, what can I say about V? What can I say about, I mean, the three fights with Ruiz, the first fight, of course, he would he would win. The second fight, they would call it uh, for the other guy. And then, of course, the uh, third fight, they would call it a draw. I thought the boxing establishment had sort of turned his back on Evander Holyfield. And for some reason, they wanted to have John Ruiz in the saddle. I have no idea. But at the end of the day, John Ruiz or Johnny Ruiz, the original anti-Ruiz, um, he just doesn't register up there with Evander Holyfield. Of course, Holyfield had to fight with Foreman. Holyfield had to fight two fights with Mike Tyson. Of course, the bite fight. And, of course, I remember questioning uh, referee Mills Lane. He was my broadcast partner. Some of you might not know that, but some of you might know that. Of course, he and I did a lot of fights. Let's get it on boxing. I think we did about 40 or 50 television dates together throughout the country. And um, I asked him one day, you know, he had a glass of wine in front of him, so I thought he was a little loose. And Mills was a tight dude. Mills Lane was an uptight guy. He really was. But um, I asked him, I said, you know, when he bit Mike Tyson the first time, I mean, when Mike Tyson bit Evander Holyfield the first time on the year, don't you think you should have liked to disqualify him then? Why did you give him a second opportunity? He got huffy. He got up. He walked away. He said, I don't want growling at me, some kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, the 1947, I take that back, the 1947 United States Golden Glove champion, Mills Lane, a judge out of Washoe County, 
you know, I'll say one little thing about Mills one time. We're in the uh, the El Cortez Hotel in Reno, Nevada. Of course, he was a judge and the former district attorney up there in Reno, which is called Washoe County, Nevada. But he was the, the Superior Court judge up there in the district, district attorney for a while. So I was sitting with him at a table, and I was paying the bill. He sort of when you, when you hung with Mills, he sort of paid the bill. Anyway, that's the sort of the way it went. I was paying the bill, and I gave the lady my platinum American Express card, which was, you know, great card back then. It was new. It was queer to these people. They had no idea. They hadn't seen it before. The lady says, ah, we really only take the green ones. That's what she said to me. We only take the green ones. I said, here, lady, take this one. So anyway, she takes the card. I said, listen. If, and I said, look at her. I said, if it comes back stolen, you give me enough time to get out of here. Okay, don't call security right away. Just give me enough time to get out of here. So then I went back, and I sat down with Mills Lane. Right? I mean, didn't think nothing about it. Because you know, I signed the, the, the credit card slip. That was that. All of a sudden, these four burly guys come over to our table. They're hotel security. They're in uniform, and they got guns. You know, and it doesn't look like these guys are coming to say, hi, how are you, until they see the Mills Lane sitting there. Then they change their tune just a little bit. But check it out. They were ready to accost me because of the fact that I had an American Express uh, <laughs> platinum card. Mike Tyson, the world heavyweight champion that nobody can forget. No doubt about that. I mean, think about what Tyson did. Of course, Blasted on the scene, didn't quite make the Olympic team in 1984. In fact, I'll tell you a little story about Mike Tyson. We were together. Uh, they flew me into Colorado Springs not once but twice to train down there. The first time was to train. The second time was for the 1984 Western Olympic trials where I lost a decision to number nine ranked Vincent Webb here in the country. Anyway, so the first time they fly me in there, and there's a whole bunch of guys. I guess it was about 75 or 80 guys from across the country, different weight classes. Everybody sort of bunched into the uh, the Olympic Training Center there in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and we're in this big hot tub. And it's like it's like I would say it's the size of a of a swimming pool, but it's 105 degrees in the tub, and it's really nice, nice little jacuzzi effect to it in some spots. Anyway, we're all in there. Pernell Whitaker's there, of course, the late great Pernell Whitaker, the world lightweight champion. Man, what a what a what a beautiful fighter he was. 19. 84 Olympic gold medalist. I think Meldrick Taylor was there. Um, there were a couple other guys there, but the bottom line was Mike Tyson was there. And Mike Tyson was there with, of course, uh, who else? Michael Nunn. Michael Second Nunn, the former middleweight champion, just got out of jail for buying a kilo of cocaine back in like 15 years ago. He bought one kilo of cocaine and spent 16 years in the prison for it. Anyway, bottom line is Michael Nunn and Mike Tyson are going back and forth, and you know, and they're jiving. It's like it's like it's like capping on each other. You know, like I knew that blah 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 blah. So anyway, Mike Tyson stepped over the line. And he said, "I knew your mother when she was hoeing." He said that to Michael Nunn. Well, guess what? Michael didn't like Mike. Mike said, blah, blah, blah. I said, "Oh, oh, here we go, here we go." Because I know that. See, when you step across the line, you bring somebody's mama into a capping capping zone. You know, that this ain't good. Anyway, so Tyson went there, and when he went there, I was like. Freaking out, man. I was freaking out. I said to myself, this is not going to be good. This is not going to be good. What's going to happen here? Somebody's going to blow. So I'm thinking that Tyson's just going to, you know, going to blow over Michael Nunn because he's calling Michael Nunn's mother a hoe. Well, Michael Nunn was like 35 or 40 pounds lighter than than Mike Tyson was. But Mike Nunn wasn't taking taking any of that. For, so he, he got up. He got up and he walked across the, the, uh, the swimming pool or the whatever, mini swimming pool. And he says to Tyson, MF? Get your effort up. Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Get up. Get up. You don't call my mother, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, here I watched Mike Tyson back out of a fight and back down. I mean, here he was being called out. I mean, the maid, the meanest man on the planet, the baddest dude in the world, all those kind of good stuff. But here I watch him getting punked out, getting reduced to less than a heavyweight by a middleweight back in May of May or April of 1984. So when he became world heavyweight champion, 
I kept waiting for the, you know, the punking. And people kept saying to me, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. I said, I saw this. I saw, you don't know what you're talking about. I said, you know, I said, I just don't think he's the toughest guy in the world. I mean, well, he takes a good punch. Yeah, he takes a good punch. But, you know, I just, I just don't know. And, of course, he was killing everybody. And then I sort of shut up for a while because he was killing everybody, dropping everybody. I mean, of course, knocking out Carl the Truth Williams in August 1989. I mean, that was a mind blower. I mean, he knocked out the truth. In 93 seconds, of course, that took him two seconds longer than it did to make a believer out of Michael Spinks, who he knocked out in 1987 in 91 seconds in that same Atlantic City arena. So at the end of the day, 1989, August of 1989, Mike Tyson was done. I mean, that was it. That was the end of his career. He admitted it to me later when he fought Kevin McBride in 2004. That, you know, that, that was the end. Mm. And he admitted, he said, I was done in 1989. As people just didn't realize, of course, the comeback, the fight with Buster Douglas, uh, it didn't didn't go too well. I mean, Tyson was trying to get his act together. They knew he was falling apart psychologically. He wasn't able to concentrate on things. But Carl the Truth Williams had that crystal chin. So Tyson was able to prevail on him, like, as I said, 93 seconds. So that was that. So the, 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 the Tyson mystique was still in place. But in the gym, in different gyms where he would train in, in camp, people knew that Mike was starting to fade. Of course, Mike Tyson finished at 50 and 6, 44 KOs, losing that last fight in, 19, in 2004, of course, to, uh, to Kevin McBride. It was the saddest thing I'd ever seen, I thought, in my life. And, but then again, the fight before, he lost to a guy by the name of Danny Williams, who I think a guy I could have beat. So we're going to say at the end of the day, 50 and 6, 44 KOs. But the most intimidating heavyweight champion ever. And when I say ever, I mean, I include Sonny Liston and I include all those other guys, Jack Johnson, all those big guys. I kid you not. And the reason why I say ever is that he had the, he had television. Mike Tyson had television, whether it was HBO or whether it was pay-per-view. The entire world watched. The entire world came to stop. Yeah, the entire world came to stop when Ali fought, but it was for different reasons. It was for a different reason. It was because of, it was Ali. It was sort of like the World Series is happening and Ali's fighting. And he's a World Series of boxing, no doubt about that. But it was a special event when Ali fought, a different special event than when Tyson fought. Because when Ali fought, you were looking for his, you know, his interviews and his colorful and being flashy and him winning, you know. I mean, never knocked anybody out cold, that kind of good stuff. Very rarely did. So, But Mike Tyson was the opposite. I mean, you didn't go to the beer for a refrigerator. You didn't get up. Or like me, you had your... uh your, your binoculars in focus when you watched him fight Michael Spinks from the last row in the Atlantic City Convention Center in 1987. Of course, I was just getting my, getting my, my, uh, my binoculars into focus and then it was once and for all. No, no, that's what they called the fight, once and for all, but it was really once and I'll fall because once Michael Spinks got hit, that was it. It was all over. I thought Mike took a shot to the shoulder and took a dive. In fact, I was sort of suspect of him for years on that one. Then I saw some other films, some other pictures from other angles where he took a hell of a shot to the chin. And guess what? He didn't quit like a dog. He was beaten that night. Of course, beaten before he got in the ring because Mike Tyson, being the animal that he was, of course, was he was in his training camp, in his training room, uh, his, his dressing room, getting ready to fight the Atlantic City Convention Center. And, of course, when other fighters, when you when you have a fight going on, usually send your guy over to watch him get his hand wrapped. In other words, Mike Tyson's trainer would go over and watch Michael Spinks' hand get wrapped, and, and Michael Spinks' trainer would send somebody over to Michael Spinks' camp, would send somebody over to watch Mike Tyson get his hands wrapped. So Butch Lewis was the promoter of, uh, of him, and of course he went, Michael Spinks, and he went over to watch Mike Tyson get his hands wrapped. So he was talking a little spit, I mean spit with an H there, to Mike Tyson. Mike didn't take too well of that, so Mike got up after his hand was wrapped, 
and he punched a hole in the wall, and you could see the people outside walking through the aisles of the Atlantic City Convention Center. That's how Mike Tyson impressed Butch Lewis, and of course, Butch Lewis didn't tell Michael Spinks. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide. We're talking heavyweight champions of the world. My name is Pedro Fernandez. This is Ring Talk Live on Sports Byline. Well, everyone said, I wish I was in your shoe. I wish I was in your shoe. The people, the hundreds of people that wish they were in my shoe don't know the That's tenth right. of it. If they were in my shoe, they would cry like babies. You're irritating me now. Here comes the decision now. Let's listen. Clarity in the world of professional boxing is spelled WBO. That's right, the World Boxing Organization is boxing's only transparent sanctioned body. You can follow the WBO on Facebook or check out their website, WBOboxing.com. That's WBOboxing.com. The World Boxing Organization. Are you paying too much for term life insurance? There's a tremendous price war among the major term life companies. Rates have dropped dramatically in the past two years. For example, a man age 45 non-tobacco user. $1 million of coverage is only $75 per month, level for the next 10 years. Or a man age 50 non-tobacco user can buy a half million dollars of coverage for a monthly premium of only $110. Guaranteed not to change for the next 20 years. That's right, level rates for 20 years. And if you're a smoker, we have great rates for you as well. At the Term Lifeline, we specialize in policies of a half million dollars and above. So if you're looking for new or replacement term life insurance, call right now for a free quote. Rates and availability may vary by state. Sample rate quotes are based on preferred non-tobacco underwriting exam required to qualify. 800-807-1981. 800-807-1981. That's 800-807-1981. Here's a great way to save money on your prescription medications. If you take Viagra or Cialis, we can give you a way to pay as little as $2 a pill. Compare that to prices as high as $60 per tablet. These pills work for men and women to improve their sexual performance. And now for the price of two or three pills, you can get nearly 100. There's no need to pay expensive prices for Viagra or Cialis. Call now with your prescription and pay as little as $2 a pill. We offer 24-7 service and always free delivery and confidential packaging. Change your life for the better and have fun. Call Pharmacy Shop 24-7 to get generic versions of Viagra or Cialis for as little as $2 a pill, plus free discreet shipping. 800-709-4409. That's 800-709-4409. iHeartRadio, an app so powerful. It holds 20 million songs from 450,000 artists, thousands of the best live radio stations, custom stations, and stations created just for you. It's anywhere and it's everywhere. Millions of songs, thousands of stations, one free app. iHeartRadio is that easy. Download the app today or listen online at iHeartRadio.com. Here comes the decision now. Let's listen. We have a split decision. It's a split decision. A split decision. Scores 143, 142, 
Holmes. One judge, 143, 142, Holmes. One point separating the fighters with that judge. Scores, 143, 142, Norton. 143-142 Norton. It all depends on the final judge. Scores it. 143, 142 for the new Glory Holmes has done it! Thirty-five kills was stopped four times. Of course, the guy that sort of sprung to attention out of the amateurs went twenty-four and two in the uh, the Marines was assigned to the uh, to the Marine Corps, and then of course he got a shot at the Pan Am Games and he won the Pan Am Game trials, but they wouldn't let him fight in the Pan Am Games. They replaced him with another guy that said his style wasn't appropriate for international competition. I mean, so bottom line was Ken said I had enough as far as the amateurs were concerned. Of course, he turned pro out of San Diego, which is sort of like his, his, his new hometown, San Diego, California, originally born in Jacksonville, Illinois, of course, in 1943, August of 1943, died in 2013, age of 70. But Ken, Kenneth Howard Norton, what can I say about him other than he was a character? He thought that he won that Larry Holmes fight. He thought that he won all three fights with Muhammad Ali. In fact, you know, we had some fun together. We were in Miami together, for, I think, for one New Year's Eve. I think it was about New Year's Eve in 2000, 2001, something like that. But we were down there, and we are having a good time. And I think Harold Smith was supposed to give him five grand for appearing, and he didn't have the five grand or didn't have the five grand in cash. So there was Ken Norton leaving the day before the event. I kid you not. So Ken flew in there. He was there like three or four days. He ate some good food. He got some sun. When Harold wasn't able to come up with the entire um, stipend that he promised him, well, guess what? Kenny was on the plane out of there. But Norton sat down and, and he talked to me, you know, in the lobby of this hotel in you know, Miami Beach, and we talked about the Ali fight, and of course his his getting screwed. He said in every Ali fight, he was just so bitter, he was just so mean. I couldn't believe it. I mean, he's just just I mean, just Mister Mister negativity on boxing. You mentioned Muhammad Ali, and his face would roll up like he just ate a, a lemon or something like that. So you know, he just had a had a chip on his shoulder his entire life as far as his dealings with me with me were concerned. So here we are, fast forward to about 2000, 2001, 2002. We're in Sacramento, California, and Muhammad Ali is there, and George Foreman's there, and Larry Holmes is there, and Ken Norton's there, and I'm the MC. So I'm going to get the opportunity to present these guys to a, a public audience. You know, hey, ladies and gentlemen, we're blah, 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 that kind of good stuff. Hype, man. So... I'm get, I've got these guys in, in basically the green room. And they're in the green room. That's where we sort of like chill. And I think they had a little champagne for us. I didn't want these guys drinking any champagne before we went out there. Oh, come on, man. Anyway, but they were a couple of them. I won't say who it was, but a couple of guys had a couple of glasses of champagne. So they're kicking it in the green room. And Ken Norris got this horrible chip on his shoulder towards Ali. I mean, he's looking over at Ali with these horrible looks and everything. And I want to go over and say to him, you know what, Ken? I'd like to slap that look off your face, man, because, you know, you're not the tough dude that you once were. You're just an old, semi-paralyzed man now, and you're, you're acting a fool. You're acting foolish. Somebody needs to slap you. Somebody needs to put you in your spot. So what happens? Ali slaps, but not with a slap. What does Ali do? Ken Norton, we're about to go out on stage. We're in this room. We're about to open this door to walk out into this room, okay? And Ken Norton's still grumbling and this and that. And I'm lining these guys up, and I think Ali was first, and I think Holmes was second. I, you know, I'm, I've got these guys in order. I want these guys in order to bring them out. So anyway, I think Foreman was, uh, I think uh, Norton was number four, and he was 
ticked. He didn't like being number four. I didn't even like where he was in line. That's what Ken Norrie was. Just one big bitch. That's all he was. One big bitch. So anyway, so um, Ali looks over at him and he's grumbling and giving Ali all kinds of dirty looks. And he walk Ali walks over to him right in front of me. Ali says to him, "You know, man, that last fight, that might have been your night." And, and Ken Norton, who had held this grudge, had held this horrible grudge, and had this chip on his shoulder, this this big block on his shoulder, this big, a big, huge block, cinder block on his shoulder. I just did. What happened? I saw him start to melt. And he sort of got real old real fast. And before you knew it, Ken Norton was crying. I kid you not. He was crying. There were tears coming out of his eyes. Not crying, weeping like that, but just like, you know, Ali admitted it. Ali, Ali admitted it. I knew I'd won those fights because, you know, he was a big, big guy in hypnosis. I remember back when he got knocked out after 16 fights. I think he got knocked out by a guy named Jorge Garcia of, uh, of Venezuela back in the day. I think it was 1970. He got knocked out. He was 16 or 17 and 0 at the time. And he got knocked out at the Olympic Auditorium in Los Angeles. And they didn't know, you know, I mean, here was this big guy with all these muscles, but it didn't look like he could take a punch all that well. So he went and got himself a, uh, a doctor, Dr. Michael Dean. They got together and of course he got this book and before you knew it, Think and Grow Rich. And of course he questioned, he, he credited that for his, uh, his lifelong success. At the end of the day, he wasn't as bitter, as mean as he was after Ali finally told him, guess what, champ? That fight, that probably fight probably deserved to you, belong to you that night. Another guy in, in, in attendance that day, of course, Larry at the Easton Assassin Home. I still talk to him. You guys still hear him once in a while here on Ring Talk Live or what? 69 and 6 is a pro. Of course, 44 KOs. Got stopped that one time against ugh, Mike Tyson. Mm. Excuse me. But I remember Mike, uh, I remember Larry went, before he won the heavyweight championship watching him on film when he was beating up Muhammad Ali when Ali was training for George Foreman back in 1974. I mean, they were at the Deer Lake training camp in Deer Lake, Pennsylvania. That was that training camp where Muhammad Ali had all these rocks, these big boulders that said Jack Johnson and Jack Dempsey and Gene Tunney, or he used to call him Gene Tooney. Um, he had all these pictures of all these uh, rocks with all these heavyweight Joe Lewis, with these Mac rocks with these heavyweight championship names on them. Anyway, so they're training there, and I'm seeing, I'm getting this footage, and Holmes is kicking his ass every day. I mean, this is, this, I mean, I said, well, there's no way Muhammad Ali is going to win this fight with George Foreman the way Larry Holmes is kicking his ass. I mean, just, just no way. And of course, you want Ali to win. I mean, everybody wanted Ali to win so bad. In fact, that was, that was a problem with Ali was that every time he fought, you wanted him to win because he was your hero. He was, he represented you, you thought. That's the way you felt. Whether he was fighting Larry Holmes, whether he was fighting Joe Frazier, okay? But Holmes, when he fought Holmes, of course, that that was a bit sad. That was sad. Of course, October second, nineteen eighty, and remember the day before the fight, promoter Harold Smith went to went to Ali and said to him, "You know, you got it. They're looking outside. They're looking out the windows. Get this. They're in the penthouse at Caesar's Palace. They're looking out the windows at the tennis courts. The tennis courts in Caesar's Palace were where the outdoor boxing arenas were built. So they're building. They're putting the final touches on the outdoor arena about thirty six hours before the fight." Talking maybe, you know, the last day of September 1980 or the first day of October 1980. Bottom line is, Harold Smith goes to Muhammad Ali and says to him, you know, champ, because Ali can barely get up. He can barely move. He's, he's not faking it. He just, he's just in slow motion from that, that thyroid arc. Of course, they'd given him this, this incredibly caustic drug, this Dr. Williams, this quack doctor. But the doc, name of Dr. Williams decided he was going to get the weight off Ali 
by giving him this thyroid arm medicine and claiming he had his thyroid to shut down. Nothing had happened. What he did was it took the weight off Ali and it made him light. He came in at 217 and a half. But guess what? He looked like crap. He just did. Of course, he never performed that night. At the end of the night, Larry Holmes had to take him out. I mean, he just did. He didn't knock him out. But, of course, Angelo Dundee would stop the fight after the 10th round. But Holmes had to do what he had to do. And it was a, a tough night for Larry Holmes. I mean, Larry, Larry told me of all the things I've done. Of course, it wasn't the type of night where Larry Holmes was at the at the uh, at Caesar's Palace in 1978 when he jumped into the swimming pool with all his clothes on. Of course, to celebrate winning the World Heavyweight Championship from the aforementioned Ken Norton. Of course, that 15 round split decision we just heard. Okay, but it wasn't the same. There was no celebration for Larry Holmes on October 3rd, 1980. I mean, he went to the press conference the next day and he, he was he, he, he didn't know how to act. I mean, how's he supposed to act? You know, I won the fight, but I really can't act like I won the fight. I, I dominated this man. I really can't act like I dominated him. How do I act? It was a tough, tough act for him that night. He just didn't know what to do. And he was always in Ali's shadow. And I, I really give Larry Holmes a lot of props. As we still talk. And, of course, I call him the mayor of eastern Pennsylvania. But him losing that title in 1985 to Michael Spinks, I thought that was a little shaky. I just did. I thought that was a little I, I just. I mean, I was there. I was there live. And I didn't have him losing after 15 rounds. I mean, yeah, I think I had it like one point one way or the other. One point for Larry or a draw. I don't think it was even close to – or it could have been close, one or two one or two points. The other way would have given Michael Spanks a fight. But the bottom line is I thought that Holmes had done enough to win that fight. And, of course, they took the fight away from Larry Holmes. And afterwards, Holmes sort of totally pissed off the rest of the boxing establishment. This is why I think they screwed him in the decision. And I do think he was screwed, and I think it was a bit of – a bit of a somewhat of a mm, not not it was a conspiracy to an extent but it wasn't a conspiracy where guys talked together about it it was sort of just implied that larry holmes wasn't he wasn't good anymore you know he wasn't he wasn't part of he wasn't following the game anymore he was off the plantation he was saying what he wanted to say couldn't they couldn't have him say that of course what did he say before he fought Michael Spinks for his 49th fight, I think he was 48 No, he said, talking about Rocky Marciano, he was about to break Marciano's record, Marciano retiring 49 Of course, his birthday was last week, born in 1923. Um, but Marciano's record was 49-0, considered undefeated. The bottom line is he fought a lot of guys who were old. I told you about that as the average age of his title uh, competition. His challenges were 34.6 years of age. And, of course, he was very small and, and he, I mean, real small. In fact, you look at a picture of him and Muhammad Ali, how he ever won a computerized fight against Muhammad Ali is a bit of a scam. Okay, it just is. Anyway, back to Larry Holmes. Holmes, you know, snotting off, mouthing off, saying that Larry Holmes, that Rocky Marciano couldn't carry his jock strap and all that kind of good stuff. And, and, you know, jock strap, in case you didn't know that, it means your athletic supporter sort of supports the, the, the middle torso of a male. Um, anyway, uh, Larry said he couldn't hook, couldn't carry his jock strap, this and that, blah, blah, blah. Made all these different implications about, you know, Marciano being white and Italian and overrated. Well, the boxing established didn't take too kind of. Of course, they screwed him the first time and the second time. I think around when Michael speaks, he definitely didn't get, wasn't getting no decision. Of course, that was Larry Holmes, no doubt about that, telling it like it is the way he wanted to do it. That was Holmes. That was Larry Holmes. In fact, still to this day, I mean, sometimes I'll get him on the radio and he, he's a little reserved. And then after a segment, we get into the second segment. It's Larry again. It's all Larry. He just is. I remember we were in Antigua. Antigua, I guess it was about 2000. I think Tim Witherspoon was going to fight on that card. Tim Witherspoon did fight Mike Cedillo, I think, on the card. It ended up being a draw. Of course, that was going to propel Tim Witherspoon onto bigger and better things circa 19, circa 2000, 2001. But Larry Holmes showed up for the card in Antigua, and he, he was there. Like, I think he didn't get paid either. 
the Harold didn't have his money, so he left early. I kid you not. So this was sort of a a uh, a, a, a broken record with with Harold Smith. Either he had your money or he didn't have your money, and you never sent a fighter his money in advance because when you send a fighter his money in advance, I'll tell you, we sent Roberto Duran his money in advance for an appearance in Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, about fifteen or twenty years ago, and he never showed. I mean, so you don't send anybody their advance money. You don't. You send them a couple of nickels to buy some coffee at the airport and give them a ticket, a non-refundable ticket, and you do it that way. But you definitely don't send a fighter, a boxer. Uh, I mean, you just don't, man. Don't. I wouldn't do it in any of that, but especially a boxer. This is too flaky. This is no way, no doubt about that. I will mention Duran, but there were several guys we give the money to over the years, and they were supposed to appear at a time. Either they were late or they didn't show up or they gave back part of the money. They didn't give back any of the money. At the end of the day, boxers are horrible when it comes to being reliable. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide. You're inside looking the world of boxing and mixed martial arts. Of course, open phone lines all around the planet, but we're only taking texts today. So you can shoot us up on the text line. The text number one. 415-275-1613. That's 1-415-275-1613. This is Ring Talk, live worldwide, 35, make that 36 plus years now. Often imitated, but never duplicated. We are the Debt Destroyer Network. Any debt you have, credit card, tax, student loan debt, call now for free information that helps you destroy your debt. It's great advice. Plus, when you make this free call now, we have Debt Destroyer experts ready to help. They can show you how to destroy your debt and get your life back on track. Debt problems don't have to be overwhelming. You can live stress-free and debt-free. Credit cards, medical bills, IRS tax problems, even student loan debt. Learn about free programs offered by the credit card companies, hospitals, and even the government that can help slash your debt. Call the Debt Destroyer now for free information. Call now. 877-360-0402-877-360-0402-877-360-0402. That's 877-360-0402. It has been said that everyone has a book in them. But do you have the time or the ability to write your book? Maybe you picked up some skills or had a life experience that you want to pass on in the form of a book to help others. Maybe you want to leave an autobiography for your family. Or maybe you've built a successful business and you want to share your story. At Dorrance Publishing Company, we have professional writers who can help turn your book idea into a finished manuscript quickly and affordably. A Dorrance Ghostwriter can provide as much or as little help as you need to complete your book. You'll work directly with your ghostwriter to finish your book faster than you ever could on your own. It's easy to become a published author. Call Dorrance now to learn more. 800-485-6003 Call right now. That number is 800-485-6003. Do you owe $10,000 or more on at least two federal student loans? Then you may qualify for new programs offered by the Department of Education. 
These programs can reduce your interest, lower your payments, and possibly qualify you for loan forgiveness. If you have $10,000 or more and at least two federal student loans and currently not in school, you may qualify for one of these programs. Call now to check your eligibility. Student loan advisors are standing by to help you determine if you qualify for these new programs. They can help you reduce your interest, lower your payment, and even forgive a portion of your student loan debt. Take control of your financial future. Make this free five-minute free call now to Nationwide Student Loans and learn how you can reduce your student loan debt. 800-439-7851-800-439-7851-800-439-7851-800-439-7851. Now more of Ring Talk with Pedro Fernandez. Just what do you think of him as a fighter, huh? Well, his footwork's lousy, he can't count a punch, his timing stinks, and he doesn't breathe properly. But you'll like him as a person. Well, he has a nice smile. When the night has come From Hogan's Heroes, the TV show, of course, talking about that boxer's footwork. We must have been talking about Deontay Wilder, the former WBC heavyweight title holder, 2004 Olympic bronze medalist, clamoring for a rematch. I'll take that back, a third fight with Tyson Fury. But that was Muhammad Ali singing, Stand By Me, I Kid You Not. That was a Benny King song. Benny King was the lead singer of the Drifters back in the early 1960s. And the Drifters, they didn't want to record Stand By Me, so he recorded on his own and he sold more records than any of the records combined of the Drifters all put together, kid you not. Anyway, bottom line is, they called him the Black Hercules. I'm talking about Ken Nord. Of course, he was a football player, a defensive end in high school, and of course, he was the player of the year, and then he went to college, and of course, he realized, you know, this problem isn't too good for me. He hurt his shoulder. They wouldn't take care of him. He couldn't get, it, couldn't get medical attention, things like that, so he decided he was going to quit college and that's what he joined the marine corps and of course boxing was in his future we will continue with our special on heavyweight champions in hour number two of ring talk live worldwide of course this is a sunday edition if you listen to us live this is a sunday edition beginning at 11 a.m pacific on sunday of course two hours live on sports byline iHeartRadio, radio sirius xm satellite radio channel 211 the dan patrick channel of course sb nation sports sportsbyline.com I, I mentioned iHeart of course tunein.com stitcher.com itunes.com there's like a thousand different internet platforms but it doesn't matter which one you listen to the bottom line is this I want you to listen to Ring Talk Live or why not thank you so much because you know there's a million things you can be doing in the world right now a million things. The fact that you listen to Ring Talk Live Worldwide, Sports Byline Production, well, myself, Peyton, as we thank you from the bottom of my heart. Straight up, this is hour number one. Hour number two still to come. We'll talk about some of the heavyweight champions I've had contact with and, and, and a little bit more. We'll get a little dirty in hour number two. Lena, sort of like after the break, we have a little, uh, little scuttle, a little more scuttle button hour number two than we did in hour number one. That's just the way it goes. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide, your inside look at the world of boxing and MMA. My name is Pedro Fernandez. We're discussing heavyweight champions. Of course, this is May 3rd, 2020. Your inside look into the world of boxing has been coming to you since September of 1984. Kick it. We're rocking and rolling 36 plus years now. Truly, your inside look in the world of boxing and mixed martial arts. Stay tuned for hour number two, a Sports Island production, Rick Talk, live worldwide.
USA Radio News with Wendy King. Texas and other states have begun the process of opening some businesses in an effort to get their economies back on track. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy, appearing on Fox News Sunday, says his state must proceed cautiously. We've got to be exceedingly careful. And as much as I want to open things back up tomorrow, we're just not there yet. And we've got to make these calls, particularly given our density, based on the facts. Protests have been held in Michigan, Maryland, and other states by residents who want stay-at-home orders eased. Maryland Governor Larry Hogan tells CNN State of the Union that the demonstrations in his state have been small. I think everybody has a right to protest and express their feelings. A couple of dozen people did so yesterday, and uh, they have every right to do that. We, sadly, we had far more people die yesterday in Maryland than we had protesters. This is USA Radio News. So I don't know if you saw this, but there was just this big study about anxiety among us. Really interesting in this study about what can keep us up at night. One of the top stressors out of all the things to worry about is paying for health care. A huge majority of us say we're worried about that. It's totally understandable, but there's an affordable alternative to health insurance. It's MediShare. It's a Christian health care sharing ministry, and it has worked beautifully for more than 25 years. And not only do people save lots of money, they get access to a huge network of doctors. They get to take advantage of 24-7 live access online where they can talk to a doctor and even get prescriptions. And, of course, there is the savings. With MediShare, the typical family saves $500 a month. That can help you sleep easier, too. There's a lot to love about it. No wonder it's grown so much. Here is the number to find out more. Call 833-34-BIBLE. That's 833-34-B-I-B-L-E. 833-34-BIBLE. A magnitude 5.4 earthquake jolted some people out of bed in Puerto Rico on Saturday morning. A series of less powerful aftershocks followed, ranging from magnitudes 4.9 to 2.6. The quake hit towns just off the coast, including Guanica where the deadly January 7th earthquake resulted in hundreds of destroyed homes and caused millions of dollars in damage. Some people still remain in shelters from previous quakes, which happened earlier this year. President Trump is hoping for a quick economic recovery from the coronavirus pandemic. On CNN's State of the Union, White House advisor Larry Kudlow says it will happen. Congressional Budget Office and a bunch of private forecasters, uh, Wall Street Journal surveys and so forth, are looking for a very strong second-half economic rebound and suggesting that 2021 next year could be one of the fastest-growth rebounds in American history or recent history. You're listening to USA Radio News. Working from home? I'm Chad Dodd, veterinarian and consultant to Limp Bells. Here are some tips for keeping your dog fit while staying at home. Find 15 minutes twice a day and walk your pet at a decent pace around your place. Play hide-and-seek by hiding some kibble or favorite toys and letting your dog find them. If you have stairs and your dog is mobile, walk up and down twice a day for 5 to 10 minutes. Or better yet, try a power walk on your terrace or backyard for some fresh air. There are more helpful pet care tips at youmove.com, spelled Y-U-Move.com. The White House blocked Dr. Anthony Fauci from testifying at next week's House hearing on the federal coronavirus response. The House Appropriation Committee's subcommittee on the Departments of Labor, Health and Human Services, Education, and related agencies sought to have Fauci appear at its Wednesday hearing. Fauci, as director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, serves on the White House Coronavirus Task Force. Former Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Director Dr. Tom Frieden is expected to appear at the Wednesday hearing. 
The U.S. women's soccer team has gotten the court's decision on equal pay, and USA Radio's John Hunt has the story. A federal judge in Los Angeles dismissed demands by the United States women's soccer team for pay equal to that of men's. Molly Levinson, spokeswoman for the defending World Cup champions, said the plaintiffs will appeal. The suit pitted the players against the United States Soccer Federation. Members of the women's national team had sought more than $66 million in damages as part of their gender discrimination suit. The legal battle grew out of 2016 complaints filed with the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission on behalf of five top women players. For USA Radio News, I'm John Hunt. You don't have to wait for the top of the hour. You can listen to the news anytime by logging on to usaradio.com. For USA Radio News, I'm Wendy King. Not too long ago, it felt good to withdraw your cash from the bank, didn't it? For a vacation or a new car. But today... Withdrawing your own cash has become risky. Pat Boone here for Swiss America. According to The Secret War, a new Swiss America white paper, I learned that all banks are now required to spy on you and me for the government and then report any financial behavior deemed suspicious or unusual. You must read The Secret War. It's free. Truth is, I believe the government's new war against cash is really a war against us all. But the secret is now out. So please, get and read The Secret War. Pick up your phone and call right now. 800-932-5517. 800-932-5517. Once again, that's 800-932-5517. Ladies! and gentlemen, live from the West Coast, it's time for Ring Talk Live Worldwide, your inside look into combat sports, brought to you by the WBO, the World Boxing Organization. Pedro, let me, let me tell you, congratulations on your long time in radio, you are your team, and for your ratings, man, I was reading about that, I'm very uh, impressed with you, Pedro. And now, the host of the longest running fight show in radio and internet history. I don't want to, to predict this fight, but, you know, I'm going to promise that I, I can give a good fight, you know, to, to make people happy, and uh, I, I just do my best. Pedro Fernandez. If I can't teach you one way, I'll teach you another, but I'm going to get the job done. Dames y caballeros, bienvenidos, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Ring Talk Live Worldwide, a production of the Mighty Sports Byline Broadcast Network. Of course, we come to you from the city by the bay, San Francisco, California. My name is Pedro Fernandez. In case you're tuning in live, this is the second hour of Ring Talk Live Worldwide. Of course, this is 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Sunday. Of course, 12 p.m. Pacific Time. This is the second hour. Of course, the show starts at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and runs for two hours each and every Sunday right here on many of these same stations you're listening to or your internet feed right now. Who am I? My name is Pedro Fernandez. I'm a four-time Golden Glove champion, finished number 13 in the Olympic year of 1984. So I'm sort of giving away my age right then and there. I was voted North American Boxing Federation Writer of the Year not once but twice, WBC Writer of the Year once, WBO Writer of the Year once, Oregon Boxing Writer of the Year once. I can go on and on, but bottom line is I've got a few awards. So I sort of know what I'm talking about when it comes to boxing and the acumen of boxing. In other words, you know, some guys can say, well, you know, I knew that guy. I know that guy. 
You didn't know that guy. You read something in a book about him. You didn't know that guy. Well, guess what? I'm going to talk to you about guys that I know. If you tune, tune in for hour number one, of course, you can always catch it live and delayed on iHeartRadio. Check out the, the Sports Byline channel and, of course, the Ring Talk Live or a wide page. But you can catch the hour number one. Of course, I went through a whole lot of heavyweight champions. We'll go through Floyd Patterson and some of the lesser heavyweight champions in this hour. And, of course, wait, the greatest of all time. I saved the best for last is right. Muhammad Ali at about 40 minutes past the hour. You were tuned to Ring Talk live worldwide on Sports Byline, iHeartRadio, and Sirius XM Satellite Radio. Of course, now we've been added to the SB Nation Sports Network. You're tuned to Ring Talk live worldwide, baby. But you know that. These are the eyes that never knew how to smile Till you came into my life These are the arms that long to lock you inside Every day and every night I'm going to tell you how you can get real health care for as little as $6 a day. Yes, now you can get affordable health care for you and your family immediately and save as much as 50% off your current monthly health care payments. Our plans are perfect for people that are self-employed, can't afford health benefits where they work, or just want to pay less for their current health care. And coverage is guaranteed regardless of your medical condition. We even offer some of the new Christian faith-based health benefits. Save up to 50% on your family's health care. Make a free quick call now. There are no contracts, and we give you a 10-day money-back trial period. Call Provision Enrollment right now for your risk-free, guaranteed health insurance quote starting at $6 a day. 800-472-5145. 800-472-5145. That's 800-472-5145. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When you need auto parts, O'ReillyAuto.com is just a few clicks away. We offer convenient options for you to get your parts quickly. Order online and pick up for free at your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store. We'll even bring it out curbside. Or you can have your parts delivered right to your door with free shipping on most orders over $35. Visit O'ReillyAuto.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Here comes the decision now. Let's listen. Clarity in the world of professional boxing is spelled WBO. That's right. The World Boxing Organization is boxing's only transparent sanctioned body. You can follow the WBO on Facebook or check out their website, WBOboxing.com. That's WBOboxing.com. The World Boxing Organization. We have a new heavyweight champion in the world. 
I'm not invincible. Uh, the great Floyd Mayweather isn't invincible. Nobody's invincible. You just have guys that are really, really good at what they do. And, 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 and that's just what it is. But anybody can be knocked out. Anything can happen in that ring. And that's why boxing has the buzz and intrigue that it has. And that's why it'll never die because I, I'm a huge sports fan. I watch all sports. But it, it's, something, it's one thing to watch a team sport, but it's something else to watch two men at the highest level battle and one may be favored over the other but you never know what's going to happen and and that's what that's why boxing is the way it is now more of ring talk with pedro fernandez i have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass Mr. Jerry Cortez, this is Tower of Power 2018. They tell me they have a new album out as well. Of course, that means two albums in two years. I know they recorded initially 26 songs. Of course, they were going to do the Michael Jackson approach. They put the best 13 or 14 on the first album and save the other 13 or 14 for a second album. Evidently, the second album's out, and evidently Tower of Power is doing well as far as digital sales. So, so we give them props. Now, we turn our attention to Joe Frazier. That's right. I kid you not. Joseph Frazier. Joseph uh, Frazier. What a, what a class act he was when he wasn't drunk. So let's talk about his record for the first part. 1964 Olympic gold medals went 32-4. and four, Of course, uh, with uh, one draw and 27 KOs. Was stopped three times. But, you know, he was put in a bad spot. Of course, being Ali's foil back in the early 1970s. Of course, him getting the championship when Ali had the title taken away from him for three and a half years, of course. And then Joe just... It wasn't Joe's fault. I mean, Joe fought Jerry Corey. If Jerry Corey or, or Jimmy Ellison, if you fought either of those guys, if either of those guys had won, they'd have been the one fighting Ali in 1971 and not Joe Frazier. So Joe Frazier was just put in a bad spot. He just was. Of course, born Joseph William Frazier. Decent guy, as I said, unless he was drunk. And i tell you why. Because, you know, the interactions I had with him when he was heavyweight champion, a couple of times I saw him, you know, here and there at different public appearances. He was cool. He waved to the crowd. He did everything a, a heavyweight champion was supposed to do when he came to town. Okay, but that was cool. So then he lost the title. And then sort of things sort of changed. And he started drinking a little bit more. And it's like when you saw him at different interviews, like he would show up at pressers and you would smell booze on his breath. You know, you know what to smell alcohol is, especially when you don't drink. And I don't drink. So anyway, you know what the smell of booze is. You just pick it up in a heartbeat. That's what my mother and my step, my, my father... My mother and my father just couldn't play that off on me. I had been drinking. Yeah, right, Mom. Anyway, um, you can just you can smell the booze on Joe. Joe evidently had a booze problem. He died of liver cancer. Coincidence, maybe. Anyway, um, Joe is doing his thing in Philadelphia, and he's mowing lawns. You know, he's mowing his lawn with a with a gas lawnmower. He's got a a, a gas gasoline powered lawnmower, so he's mowing his lawn, and he's drunk, and he he pulls the lawnmower back over his foot, his lead right foot, and chops off three toes. I kid you not. This is the stuff, type of stuff that he drunk. He was pulled over a couple times, but you know that's the the negative side to him. The fighter side to him, he was always there. He came. He brought a hundred percent, man. You can say what you want about Joe Frazier being limited. He wasn't limited. He was a guy that was five foot ten, five foot eleven, and he brought everything he had with that that torso, the two hundred five, two hundred eight pounds when he was in his peak force, dropping Ali in the fifteenth round of that fight, March eighth, nineteen seventy one, and people think. Whoa, the knockdown, that was so climactic. Maybe not, because I think that he, in Ali missed to it. He had Ali on, on Queer Street, 18th and Castro, baby, San Francisco. I'm talking about round 11. Ali was all over the place. Ali was so close to being knocked out in round 11. That was the closest I think he's ever came in his entire 
entire life to being knocked out or unconscious in a, in a fight, whether it be as an amateur, I kid you not, as an amateur or professional, and I'm including the time he got knocked down by Henry Cooper in 1962. And, of course, the great Angelo Dundee had to cut a little, had to nick his glove up, had to cut his glove. Hey, my guy's glove's cut. Stall time for a couple of minutes, get Ali, let Ali clear his head. Of course, he was still Cassius Clay at that point in time. Let him clear his head. Then he came out and took care of Joe, uh, uh, Henry Cooper, I think, in the very next round. But Joe Frazier was put in a bad spot. He just was. I mean, as heavyweight champion. Of course, after he fought, after he, he defeated, defeated Ali the first time, he had a chance to fight Ali again. And this time he would have got a guaranteed $5 million. I mean, the most, I think they got a million the first time, but he would have got $5 million cash guarantee. And he wouldn't take it. He told promoter Jack Ken Cook, I think he owned the Los Angeles Lakers or the New York Knicks. He was an NBA owner. I think it was the Lakers. Anyway, he, um, he told Jack Ken Cook, I don't want to fight him. I don't want to fight him. I don't want to fight him. He wouldn't fight Ali again. And it wasn't the fact that he, he thought he couldn't beat Ali or was scared of Ali or anything like that. He just was, he was pissed off at Ali and Joe was going to get, Joe was going to be Joe this time. Joe was a stubborn old dude. Joe Frazier was one of the most stubborn guys I've ever come in contact with in my life, be it professionally or personally. I kid you not. When Joe said, went. That's just the way it was. I told you about the time he got pissed off at the gym there and Calvin Grove called me on the phone. Calvin Grove was a former IBF featherweight champion. He called me on the phone from Philadelphia and he says to me, Pedro, I just left Joe's gym. I said, what do you got a breath for, man? He goes, I left my, my, my clothes, all my clothes, my wallet, everything's in the locker. I said, well, what happened? Did the, I'm thinking the gym burned down or something like that. No, no. Joe Frazier guy went through a temper tantrum, told everybody to get out. Allegedly, he had a handgun. He had a gun in his hand. So that's enough for me. Joe's drunk. Joe's drinking. Okay. And a, a, a pretty, pretty, pretty well established a boozer. Okay. No doubt about that. And he's got a gun telling you to get out, get out of the gym. So everybody cleared out of that Philadelphia gym that day. And I think they went back the very next day and got their stuff. But yeah, imagine that. If you got your, had your car keys in there in the locker, no haps. Ain't going to happen. Anyway, Joe Frazier and I are together at the International Boxing Hall of Fame, I guess, in 1992. And he's selling autographs. And this pisses me off. Because I don't think that a heavyweight champion of the world should sell autographs. I never thought that Joe DiMaggio should sell autographs. But he did it and made Mr. money. Made money as Mr. Coffee and that kind of good stuff. But, but Joe... Joe Frazier was the heavyweight champion of the world. This was a people that, this was somebody that, that people watched television and saw them on television. Therefore, they had to watch the commercials. Therefore, they were, they were, had to pay a price to watch Joe Frazier on TV. So I thought that Joe Frazier, or if they watched Joe on closed circuit television against Ali or Foreman and all that kind of good stuff. Okay. But they paid to see Joe Frazier fight. And, and I understand that. And Joe got his money, okay? But when you're a retired heavyweight champion and you're, you're nickel and diamond people for autographs up there in, in Canada, New York, at the International Boxing Hall of Fame, I'm going to call you out on it. And I did. I, I went, I told him, I said, listen, man, this is not be, this is not befitting the world heavyweight championship. He goes, what are you talking about? He goes, I go, you're selling autographs, Joe. That's not cool. And you should have seen the violent look in his eye. I thought he was going to grab me by the throat. I thought my life was over. I thought that was it. I thought Joe was going to kill him. I thought he was going to reach across the table. Jackie, uh, Jackie Frazier, his daughter, who I think would have a limited professional career later on, many years later. I, I, she was there and he was ready to grab me. He, he stood up and I said to myself, here it is. It's. It's over. You're going to get knocked out. I'm not going to run for him. I mean, what am I, I'm, I'm going to be weary of what's going on here. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to punk out. So anyway, Joe gets up and he looks like he's going to grab you by the throat. And I said to him, man, this is probably not the place to, to, to do this, you know, but I'm not going to, I don't want to act like a punk. 
So anyway, I said to Joe, I said, Joe, I just, I just feel that way, man. You're the heavyweight champion of the world. You made millions of dollars on people watching your fights. I said, you know, and you're charging them for autographs. They're fans. Do you really think that's right deep down inside? And he went into this like three minute tirade on why it was right and this, and it didn't make any sense, was spitting all over me, and had this been the coronavirus days, I'd have told him, six foot, baby, social distancing. But that was Joe Frazier, no doubt about that. Joe was in my face, I guess, for about, yeah, two and a half, three minutes, just telling me off, all up and down, and he could sell his autograph after it was his autograph. Who the hell was I to tell him that? He won the gold medal in 1964. He was a world heavyweight champion, blah, blah, blah. He beat Muhammad Ali. He was just laying it all out to me. And at the same time, <clears throat> I could smell booze on that breath. Yeah, that was that was Joe Frazier. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide, your inside look at the world of boxing, MMA. We're talking world heavyweight champions this hour of Ring Talk Live Worldwide. Of course, coming to you from these Sports Byline Studios, not coming to you from our makeshift studios here in the city by the bay, San Francisco, California. My name is Pedro Fernandez, 35 plus, make that 36 plus years now, your host of Ring Talk Live Worldwide, the longest running fight show in history. We'll talk about some of the heavyweight champions and their ability to sing. After the break, of course, earlier we heard Muhammad Ali singing when he was cast to slave. But I'll talk about the singers in the heavyweight division after the break. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live, baby, on Sports Byline. Joe, I know you don't like to talk at a moment like this, but you're getting two and a half million dollars. Will that make any difference in the way you're going to fight? Well, it, uh, it gives me inspiration to, to do a little more, you know, and, uh, Go five a little more, and I feel good about it. Joe's gonna come out smoking, and I ain't gonna be joking. I'll be pecking and a poking, pouring water on his smoking. Then this might shock and amaze you, but I will destroy Joe Frazier. If you or a loved one is suffering from a physical or emotional condition that has left you unable to work, then listen carefully. Take this number down, 800-593-7491. That's 800-593-7491. When you call, you'll speak with a Social Security disability expert and get a free evaluation to see if you may qualify for disability insurance benefits from the U.S. government. That's right, a monthly cash payment paid directly to you from the Social Security Administration. Whether you're applying for the first time or you've already been denied disability benefits, call now. The disability attorneys at Pinnacle Disability can help you build your case, file an appeal, and represent you at no upfront cost to you. Don't wait another minute to see if you may qualify for your Social Security disability benefits. Call Pinnacle Disability Group at 800-593-7491 for your free case evaluation. That's 800-593-7491. 800-593-7491. Call now. Attention to anyone that's written a book or wants to write a book. The process is not that complicated. Take a first step. Even if you write a page a day, you'll build momentum and your book will become a reality. The hard part is getting it published. That's when you need to call page.
Page Publishing. They've got hundreds and hundreds of thank yous from different new authors just like you. They make the process of publishing your new book and getting it sold online a simple process. You can learn how simple it is right now by calling for your free Page Publishing new author submission kit. One quick three-minute phone call. That's all it takes to get free information and learn how you can get your book published. Pick up your phone right now and call us 24 hours a day at this number. 800-603-0885. 800-603-0885. 800-603-0885. That's 800-603-0885. Hey, travelers, do you want to save money on your next flight? Then pick up the phone and call. That's right, call. Because the best prices are not online. They're with SmartFares. See, SmartFares has special deals with the airlines. When they have unsold seats, they use SmartFares to fill them. So you get airline tickets at ridiculously low prices. Our prices are too low to publish online. With the extra money you'll save, you can book another trip or treat yourself to dinner or shopping. So stop searching all of those travel sites to find the lowest price on your next flight. Let one of our SmartFares expert travel agents find ridiculously low prices for you. Call SmartFares today and get the best price on your next flight. Guaranteed. Also, save up to 50% off business and first-class tickets. 855-325-1780. 855-325-1780. That's 855-325-1780. Now, more of Ring Talk with Pedro Fernandez. Darkest of night with the moon shining bright. There's a step going strong, My mother told me to stop bragging when you're telling the truth, son. Just don't tell the truth too often because people don't like honesty. <laughs> well, we get honest here every course. Ring Talk Live, where we're honestly giving you radio uh, a radio presence now for 36 years now. Live on Sports Byline, Saturdays and Sundays, 11 a.m. Pacific time. Saturday for an hour. This is a Sunday edition, hour number two of the Sunday edition. Of course, both shows start at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Back to Joe Frazier just for a second. Of course, smoking Joe Frazier. Had that fight with Muhammad Ali in 1971 where the entire world... Stop. Of course, um, he would not fight Muhammad Ali in a rematch. He didn't want to fight Ali in a rematch right away, so he decided he would fight George Foreman. He fought George Foreman. He got a million bucks, and he got his clock cleaned, okay, for a million bucks. When he could have fought Ali and got $5 million, but the bottom line was Joe just Joe was a man, a man of principles. He sell, and he was going to do it. And, of course, I flash forward, I fast forward, I think, to 1998. I'm working the Georgia Dome, a television, and a television event for Don King Productions, and I'm sitting with... <clears throat> Bill Goldberg, the referee, the, the wrestling icon. Anyway, former, I think, uh, Atlanta college football player, star, that kind of good stuff. But he's, he was big in Atlanta at the time. So, I mean, we're rocking and rolling. We're sitting ringside in Evander Holyfield's fighting Von Bean, and Joe Frazier's in his corner. So I go into the Frazier, the, uh, the Von Bean corner before the fight, and I smell booze. I mean, heavy booze. And I'm looking at Von Bean. He's a fat dude, big fat guy, Muslim guy, wearing a, like a little uh, Muslim hat and this kind of stuff and trying to play, the play, you know, play. I mean, I'm real religious, this and that. Yeah, if I don't mind if you weren't dedicated enough to become a real good fighter, I thought. Anyway, there's Von Bean in his corner, in his, in his dress room. He's dressed, he's shadow boxing, trying to get loose, trying to get wet and sweaty. And Joe Frazier and, and Butch Lewis is sitting there, and they're both drunk as a skunk. I mean, drunk as a skunk. So 
I mean, I do the interview with Long Bean. You know, I can smell his booze. And that's all you can smell in the room. You can't smell swear. A lot of times you walk into dress rooms and you smell funk. You see, you can smell butt cheese on occasion, okay? But you just funk in dress rooms. You just do. Smart dress rooms are not the, not the most nicest places you want to be. But anyway, this time, that wasn't the occasion. No doubt about it. At the end of the day, what can I say? I guess everybody's got their, their issues. But Joe Frazier was, was, was drunk. And then when he went out and did this fight, Brian Gary was the referee. And Brian Gary's a white uh, Caucasian living in Florida. A Donald Trump guy, I think. Anyway, just kidding. Anyway, um, but he says to me, he, he says later, he goes, yeah, it was a tough night because, you know, Joe Frazier was calling him a white cracker and, and a racist and a honky and all kinds of stuff. This is Joe Frazier, the former world heavyweight champion, spouting this stuff in the corner along with Butch Lewis, Vaughn Bean, in a fight where Amanda Holyfield's on the other side of the ring. Of course, Amanda Holyfield defending the world heavyweight championship that night. Well, so what do you do when you're the referee? Do you throw Joe Frazier out of the building? You, do you tell Joe, hey, Joe, you got to go because you're talking too much spit here. And I'm talking spit with an H. OK, but Joe got his way. Joe didn't get thrown out. Joe was I think I think Brian warned him at one point, sort of pointed his finger over him. And all that did was caught Joe, cause, cause Joe and those guys to drop a few F-bombs. OK, that's what they were doing. So they were drunk as a skunk in the corner. They knew Vaughn Bean was going to be there at the Holyfield. Vaughn Bean knew he was going to be there at the Holyfield. Everybody knew it. OK, but they were drunk. Joe acted the fool. I didn't think that Joe acted like a racist fool. I wasn't appreciative of that. And that's some of the memories I have of Mr. Joe Frazier. Now, world, another world heavyweight champion, a guy of that era before I get to Lennox Lewis, um, was a bit of a bit of a funny guy. I'm talking about Jimmy Ellis. Where Jimmy Ellis was one of those guys that when Muhammad Ali was stripped in 1965, 1966 of the World Heavyweight Championship for refusing to step forward and go into the, the draft of the Vietnam War. Remember what he said, you're not going to use my name to lead other young men to slaughter do that anyway could you know because he wasn't going to war they weren't going to put him over there with a rifle in his hand they're going to have ali do exhibitions like joe lewis did in world war ii and i think what ali learned off of joe lewis doing those exhibitions in world war ii was it didn't get joe any slack because the irs came after him afterwards and took everything he had i mean after he he donated years of his life his prime in boxing basically to the marine uh, to the army he was in the army and he was boxing exhibitions i mean he could have been making money and he wasn't and joe Fred, joe Fred, joe lewis would end up Dying, bro, essentially broke. It wasn't Frank Sinatra paying, paying his rent at Caesar's Palace in, from the night, 1970s until 1980 when he, 1981 when he died. I think April of 1981. Had, had that young man not had his bills paid by Frank Sinatra, he'd have been out of the street and maybe homeless. So back to Jimmy Ellis. Jimmy Ellis was a good guy. He could sing. At least he thought. Let me tell you about guys that sung. Okay? Heavyweight champions that sing. You heard Ali a little bit earlier singing that Stand By Me song. Larry Holmes had a band. Mm, nah, I'm not going to talk about it. Now, Larry wasn't all that impressive. Joe Frazier had a band. Nah, 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 nah. In other words, heavyweight champions can't sing. I mean, Roberto Duran, he, knows he, could, he knew he couldn't sing, but he's doing the salsa and beating on the drums and tambalas again. He got a good front. Duran's got a good front. He's entertaining people up there, okay? But when you put these heavyweight champions with a microphone in front of them, these are guys that are probably not the most swifted uh, from, a, from a vocal point of view to begin with. You know what I'm saying? You're giving him a mic? Come on. So Jimmy Ellis, we're at the International Boxing Hall of Fame. I guess it was 1980, 1993, 1994, one of the early years there for the uh, International Boxing Hall of Fame up there in New York. You get a chance to go there. Of course, the second weekend of June every year, they usually hold the Hall of Fame ceremonies. But obviously this year, they're not going to hold them. But next year, who knows? It might be back rocking and rolling. Of course, check it out. I-B-H-O-F, I believe, dot com, the International Boxing Hall of Fame.com. 
But Joe Frazier was there. Jimmy Ellis was there. Of course, I think Joe was selling the autographs at the same time. So I'm looking around at these different, each tent. It's sort of a little tent. They got a little tent. And there's like a different celebrity in each tent because the sun's beating down. And the sun's pretty hot. Nice hot summer day in upstate New York. So there's James Ellis. Or as Ali called him, Jimmy Ellis. Actually, Ali called him James. But Jimmy Ellis, of course, born in 1940. Pretty good guy. Glad to be around. I had a record of 40 and 12. Of course, got stopped four times. I think 24, that 24, 25 KO, something like that. Not the greatest heavyweight fighter in the world. Of course, fought Jerry Quarry over in Oakland, California. It was part of that tournament in 1966 or 67. I can't believe I remember right now off the top of my head. But um, it was for the WBA Heavyweight Championship. And I think Ellis would win that and then lose to Ernie Terrell. Of course, speaking of Ernie Terrell, we'll get to that in just a minute. But Jimmy Ellis was not an accomplished singer. In fact, I was begging Jimmy to find something else to do because he was singing while we were all trying to talk. And it was sort of annoying hearing him sing in the background. You just wish I could, you could just turn him off, but you couldn't turn him off. He was doing his thing as James Ellis. But as I said, pretty decent fighter. Ali said he was a, a good sparring partner. I said, that's what he said to me. I said, well, what do you think of James? What do you think of Jimmy Ellis? You call him James. Good sparring partner. That's it. That's all he said about Jimmy Ellis. Anyway, Jimmy Ellis, one of the world heavyweight champions, that couldn't sing. Ali, I guess, could sing a little bit as Cassius Clay, but Joe Frazier couldn't sing. I'll be redundant. Repeat myself. Larry Holmes couldn't sing. Um, Ken Norton never tried to sing. Ken Norton got to that car accident in nineteen in the 1980s and 1990s, of course, and he was sort of like semi-paralyzed until his death. But um, Norton didn't try to sing. Thank God Black Hercules didn't try to sing. But Jimmy Ellis did try to sing, and that was a bit of a, a – listen – I, I got to give him some props because Jimmy Ellis was was a good guy. And he was fun to be around, and he was always um, very gracious of his fans. He just wasn't I mean, any fans that he had. He was very gracious. He was always out there. He was talking to people, being nice to people. There's no doubt about him. He was a classy, classy guy, but he wasn't the greatest fighter in the world. He just wasn't. I mean, he just wasn't. He, sell, he held a portion of the world heavyweight title for a minute because his sparring partner, Muhammad Ali, had the title taken away from him. That's just the way it went down. Had he not had that? Had he not had Ali not been interrupted as a champion, do you think Joe Frazier would have been world heavyweight champion? Probably not. Joe was a little bit green. Joe would have got his shot. Probably about nineteen, probably about nineteen sixty-seven. You figure three years as a pro, Joe would have got a shot in sixty-seven as he fought for the vacant title in nineteen or fought Ellis for the title in nineteen sixty-seven. Of course, Ellis won that vacant title when he fought Jerry Corey over here in Oakland, California. But here he is champion, Joe Frazier champion, but he's not really champion until he fights Ali. Of course, that would take place March 8, 1971. And there was little doubt after 15 rounds in the minds of many that, that you're going to get ready for this, that Muhammad Ali won that fight. He won enough rounds to win the fight. They were scoring the fight on a rounds basis. Rounds are supplemented by a five-point must system. So I thought he won at least nine of the rounds. Yes, he played around in several of the rounds, but I thought he won nine of the rounds. In fact, myself and the you know, the esteemed godfather, retired HBO godfather, Larry Merchant, we both feel the same way. We both feel that Ali would have won that, should have won that fight uh, based on the fact that he won so many rounds. But Joe Frazier knocking him down in the 15th round, of course, hurting Ali like like he had never been hurt before or after in the 11th round. Of course, that was that was decisive in the minds of judges. They gave it to Frazier by a couple of points. At the end of the night, I thought Muhammad Ali deserved to win that fight. Am I just being a homer? 
No, I'm not, man. That's just the way it was. I mean, both myself and Larry, Larry Holmes, I mean, Larry Merchant both thought he won that fight. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide. You're inside looking at the world of boxing and MMA, of course, coming to you live from the Sports Byline Studios. Usually, we come to you live from the Sports Byline Studios Saturday and Sundays at 11 a.m. Pacific. I'm live on Sports Byline, iHeartRadio, Sirius XM, Satellite Radio, Channel 211, iTunes, Stitcher.com, TuneIn.com. There's like a thousand different internet platforms. And we just added the SB Nation Sports Network. So we've got all these different branches, internet branches, radio stations, of course, rocking and rolling in Vegas on the radio. So we've got all these stations around the country, live internet access. You can catch us live on iHeartRadio. You can catch us delayed on iHeartRadio, of course. You can always catch us live at sportsbyline.com. But if you want to become part of the Ring Talk crew, check out the iHeartRadio link. That's right. You go to iHeartRadio. You enter Ring Talk, and they will tell you when Ring Talk's on live, and they will tell you when Ring Talk is in a delayed status. In other words, if you miss a show, they will send you a little email saying, guess what? You can just click on this thing right now. You listen to Ring Talk Live worldwide on Saturday or from Sunday. Bottom line is you can listen to all our shows via iHeartRadio. Check out the Ring Talk channel. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live worldwide. You're inside looking at the world of combat sports. And you know what? I do I, yes, I did say this, and I'll say it again. Size only matters in two things. Combat sports and pornography. You're tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide. I hope that answered your question, Hazel. Go down in history has been the uh, highest publicized fight in the history of the fight game. Uh, the most talked about, uh, the most, I would say, probably controversial, the most loved, the most hated. Here comes the decision now. Let's listen. Clarity in the world of professional boxing is spelled WBO. That's right, the World Boxing Organization is boxing's only transparent sanctioned body. You can follow the WBO on Facebook or check out their website, WBOboxing.com. That's WBOboxing.com. The World Boxing Organization. Here's a great way to save money on your prescription medications. If you take Viagra or Cialis, we can give you a way to pay as little as $2 a pill. Compare that to prices as high as $60 per tablet. These pills work for men and women to improve their sexual performance. And now for the price of two or three pills, you can get nearly 100. There's no need to pay expensive prices for Viagra or Cialis. Call now with your prescription and pay as little as $2 a pill. We offer 24-7 service and always free delivery and confidential packaging. Change your life for the better and have fun. Call Pharmacy Shop 24-7 to get generic versions of Viagra or Cialis for as little as $2 a pill, plus free discreet shipping. 800-709-4409. 800-709-4409. 800-709-4409. That's 800-709-4409. 
Are you paying too much for term life insurance? There's a tremendous price war among the major term life companies. Rates have dropped dramatically in the past two years. For example, a man age 45 non-tobacco user. $1 million of coverage is only $75 per month. Level for the next 10 years. Or a man age 50 non-tobacco user can buy a half million dollars of coverage for a monthly premium of only $110. Guaranteed not to change for the next 20 years. That's right. Level rates for 20 years. And if you're a smoker, we have great rates for you as well. At the Term Lifeline, we specialize in policies of a half million dollars and above. So if you're looking for new or replacement term life insurance, call right now for a free quote. Rates and availability may vary by state. Sample rate quotes are based on preferred non-tobacco underwriting exam required to qualify. 800-807-1981. 800-807-1981. That's 800-807-1981. I love iHeartRadio. iHeartRadio. Love it. Everywhere, man. <laughs> Seriously. Everywhere, man. 20 million songs from 450,000 artists. iHeartRadio. Reno, Chicago, Fargo, Minnesota, Buffalo, Toronto, Winslow, Sarasota. I create my own radio stations. iHeartRadio. Millions of songs. Thousands of stations. One free app. iHeartRadio is that easy. Download the app today or listen online at iHeartRadio.com. Since I have predicted that I'll be the champion the time I'm 21, well, naturally, everybody's coming to see you win. And they represent your thinking. These represent dynamite. There you go. He will be mine in round nine. And if he makes me sore, I'll cut it to four. Thank you very much. And if that don't do, we'll get him in two. (laughs) If he runs, we'll get him in one. (laughs) And in your heart, you know I'm right. This bum go over five rounds. I won't return to the United States for 30 days. That's final. I walked into London, England. I jumped off the airplane. And Cleopatra was at ringside to witness. Can this Louisville lip come over here and call the exact round again? We don't believe it. The fifth round came. Now, more of Ring Talk with Pedro Fernandez. Well, I had to talk to my lawyer on that one. Muhammad Ali followed by Don King, backed up by the Tower of Power and Wood is Hip. Speaking of Wood is Hip, the new edition of Wood is Hip, the new version, is called the Social Distancing Version. Of course, a bunch of the guys got together, a bunch of the Tower of Power leads. I tried to get this yesterday, but I couldn't remember Larry Braggs' name. Anyway, Larry Braggs, Hubert Tubbs, Ray Green, Brent Carter, the current lead singer for the Average White Band, or AWB, they all got together and did a Wood is Hip uh, Social Distancing Version. Of course, it's live on YouTube. Check it out, YouTube.com, Wood is Hip. Social distancing style. Now, we're talking heavyweight champions of the world. Of course, Muhammad Ali talking to smack there. We'll get to him in just a minute. But today, just for a second, I want to mention the fact that first time a guy won the world heavyweight championship twice was back in 1961. His name was Floyd Patterson. 1952 Olympic gold medalist, a guy that was probably ducked to an extent by um, by Rocky Marciano. I don't think Marciano wanted any part of him and or Liston, of course, Marciano would give it up about 1956, of course, and then the World Heavyweight Championship would go in a different direction. At the end of the day, Floyd Patterson was the first champion to ever come back and win the title after losing. Of course, he got knocked out by Ingemar Johansson, the man from Sweden, the man that knocked out my childhood um, hero, Eddie Machen, the man that got me into boxing. How did I get into boxing? Get this. Some guy took a quarter off a pinball machine. Bobby Antonelli remembers this story pretty well. Some guy took a, a quarter off a pinball machine. His name was Guy Lambert. He took a picture, a quarter off my pinball machine at Jim's Donuts. We were playing the pinball machine. So he took the quarter off 
And basically, either I had to fight him or he was going to be taking my quarters forever. And he was a big guy. He was bigger than me, taller than me, tall white dude. I said to myself, man, I'm scared. I said, yeah, I was. But I couldn't let this happen. So anyway, I took him outside, and I realized, I looked down at his shoes. He was wearing dress shoes. So he was wearing those slippery dress shoes. I moved around a little bit. Bang! Lit him up, jumped on him, never let up. Eddie Machen, the former heavyweight contender, sees me pummeling this guy. He comes out of the 3300 Club, which is a bar right next to the uh, the now raised Jim Donuts. And he comes out, and he pulls me up by the seat of my pants. And I said, MF, let me go! And then I turned around and realized it was, it was Eddie. I couldn't be saying that kind of stuff to Eddie's, you know. So I had to put myself in check there. And Eddie ascends up, you know what? I think you need to learn how to box. So I was like, what, 85, 90 pounds, maybe max 90 pounds. So anyway, Eddie takes me into his front room. And that was across the street from the 3300 Club, still in the 3300 block of Mission Street, just on the odd side, above, the, above and behind the New Light Kitchen Chinese restaurant. So he had an apartment up there. Had a balcony, a second floor apartment, or a first floor apartment overlooking the driveway. So anyway, he would work me out with these mitts and gloves and this kind of good stuff. And then he would run me around Bernal Heights one or two times. And my mother told him, my mom, when my mother found out that I was boxing, she told him, I don't want him boxing. Can you do anything to stop him from boxing? I don't want him to box. So, so Eddie thought that he would like double up the running <laughs> and double up the training. And so the 25 push-ups do 50. Well, I couldn't do 50 in a row, but I did my 50. You know what I'm saying? But no, no, they were not going to break me down. They were not going to break me down, not psychologically, not emotionally, and not physically. And I think mom got hit to that, and Eddie got hit to it when he went back and told her, listen, I've done everything I can to break him down to make him run away. But every day he's at my door right after school, right after selling newspapers, he's at my door, banging on my door, ready to go. So what can I say? Anyway, Eddie would take me to the boys' club fights. I think we had six or seven. I'm not sure exactly what the number was. But I never lost in the boys' clubs until I went to – 19, until 1974, and I went to South San Francisco. And of course, we went from one-minute rounds to two-minute rounds. We went to two-minute rounds. That was a little tough for me. Of course, we had finished with three-minute rounds, but I mean, in the adult, I mean, the adult phase, of course, of boxing. But when you're a kid, it was one minute and then two minutes. But when I went my first two-minute round, man, at the Boys Club in South City, I lost my first fight. And that was a bit of a. I, I want to mention Eddie Smith. Of course, the late Eddie Smith was the winner in that fight. Anyway, back to Floyd Patterson. Floyd Patterson as I said, won the World Heavyweight Championship, won it back by Ingemar Hansen. Then he was supposed to fight Sonny Liston. Sonny Liston was the meanest dude on the planet. I told you how he died, though. He died with his shorts standing around his ankles with the door locked from the inside. So in other words, Sonny was, um, how should we say this, pleasing himself when he died. He sort of came and went at the same time. I mean, think about it, folks. I mean, I'm a police. I'm a former police officer. I'm looking at the pictures. I'm looking at the crime scene photos. I'm reading the police reports. The door is broken in. They get in the door from the outside, from the front. Geraldine and Johnny Taco and Davey Pearl, they get into the house along with the Las Vegas police. And there's Sonny dead on the bed with his shorts down around his ankles. He's naked, shorts down around his ankles. And I mean, why would his shorts be down around his ankles? Yeah, you see, you see what I'm trying to say. So Sonny came and went at the same time. Anyway, Sonny Liston knocks out Floyd Patterson in the first round and just brutalizes him in the first fight. Does the same thing in the second fight. Okay? And ridicules Floyd to the point where he gets a beard, a hat and a beard and some fake glasses and gets a disguise. Anyway, fast forward to 1995. I'm doing the television in uh, Kansas City, Missouri. It was a Mike, it was the Tommy, the Duke Morrison, Razor Reddick fight, Donovan Razor Reddick fight. Of course, Reddick having those two close fights with Tyson. One of them went the distance. One of them was stopped a bit controversially by referee Richard Steele the first time, which set up the second fight. But anyway, Donovan Reddick, Razor Reddick, and Tommy Morrison going back and forth. 
and the fight's over with. And, you know, I mean, we, we did the television for that. We did. And, and I remember dealing with, dealing with the different headaches. But one of the highlights of the weekend to me was a guy by the name of John Russell. And who was John Russell? John Russell was the trainer of uh, former world heavyweight champion Buster Douglas. Of course, Buster Douglas was a man that pulled off the, the, um, the, incrom- the, the unbelievable upset, melting down Iron Mike Tyson, of course, February 1990, the meltdown in Tokyo. He melted down Mike Tyson. But his trainer was a guy by the name of John Russell. Guy wore glasses, white dude, about five foot ten, about 175, 180 pounds. Not a big imposing dude by any means, okay? So anyway, um, Buster Douglas, of course, does well in, in the Mike Tyson fight. I mean, he pulled off the ups of the century. But in preparation for the Holyfield fight, remember, I went back to Columbus, Ohio, and spent some time with Buster. I spent about a week and a half back there, limos, all that kind of good stuff. But as I, as I told you, <clears throat> Buster didn't train. Buster trained eating. I mean, we'd have breakfast like it's you know, about eight o'clock in the morning, eight thirty in the morning, right? And we'd have we'd have people bring in snacks about eleven thirty. Then we'd go to barbecue for dinner and take that back for lunch at two thirty. Uh, one of those other trainers, can't remember the guy's name right now, but but he had a, a barbecue pit in Columbus, Ohio. We'd go there and have ribs, and we'd have that for lunch. So that's about two thirty. And wait, we're not done. We have a couple more snacks in, in the office, the Buster Douglas office. We'd have a couple more snacks about. 4.30 or 5, and then we go to dinner about 7.30 or 8. And then everybody would head home. i drop everybody off in the limo. i kid you not. So that's the way Buster was eating. So I ridiculed Buster after the flop against Vander Holyfield, of course, again in 1990 when he took that. I thought he took that dive, and referee Mills Lane sort of didn't disagree with me. I asked Mills about that, my broadcast partner. He was referee that night. But Buster Douglas, I thought, took a dive, came into the fight. Of course, I told you about that. I broke in our ring talk live worldwide. Buster Douglas was training in the California Pizza Kitchen at the Mirage Hotel. That's right. Steve Wynn set him up in the Mirage Hotel with a, a $24 million contract to fight Evander Holyfield in October of 1990 after knocking out Mike Tyson in February of 1990, of course. So he gets the $24 million bucks, doesn't bother to show up as far as his physical, his, his, his physical status was concerned. He was out of shape. He was fat as a pig. So where do I find Buster Douglas the night before the fight? In the sauna at the Mirage Hotel, get this, with California Pizza Kitchen boxes. There was five or six pizza boxes in there. I kid you not. And Buster heard we were coming, and then he, like, he skittled out. He, sc- he scattered. The last I saw was Russell going out the back door of the Mirage Hotel. So I knew Russell was part of this. Russell was part of this Pizzagate thing with Buster Douglas eating pizza the night before his underground Holyfield fight after weighing, like, at 250 pounds, some incredible weight after weighing 229 or 230 for the Tyson fight, of course, coming in fat as a pig. So anyway, I know that Russell was there. I denounced Russell, and I guess I, I called Peyton Share. Peyton Share was a guy that got Buster Douglas to fight with Mike Tyson. He's the one that originally signed uh, Buster Douglas to Don King Productions. Of course, he was also the guy that brought us Frankie Randall, a man that would uh, would 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 eventually would be the first man ever to beat Julio Cesar Chavez. So Peyton Share sets up the Tyson Buster Douglas fight, sets some other, some other fights up for Douglas. So he's Douglas's agent per se. So um, Jack Russell, John Russell, finds out that I'm talking smack about him uh, in print. I didn't didn't hide about it. I did this in print. Okay, so he decides he's going to call Peyton Shearer, and Peyton doesn't pick up the phone. So he says like this: He goes, "Hey, you tell that Pedro that MF when I see him, I'm going to kick his ass. I'm going to slap the snot out of him." And he didn't say snot. I'm going to slap him. Blah blah blah. He's not even going to see it coming. I think I'm just going to sucker punch that dummy, Peyton. That's what I'm going to do. Blah blah blah. So he, he hangs up the phone. He leaves that message on the machine, right? So Peyton knows I'm coming into Kansas City about a week later to, to do this Tommy Morrison. 
uh, Razor Reddick fight. So Peyton says to me, I got something I want to play for you. And he's on the phone. I said, what's up, Peyton? He goes, I, I feel a little funny here, but I don't know. I don't want to bring you into something where you don't know. And somebody might try, try to take advantage of you and hurt you. I said, who's going to hurt me? Come on, I'm Teflon. No, I wasn't. Anyway, he says, Mr. Ru this Russell guy wants to get you. And I said, well, play the tape. Let me hear the tape. So I heard the tape. He's talking about sucker punching me and all this kind of good stuff. So we go to the weigh-in for the Tommy the Duke Morrison Razor Ruddock fight. I think this is June 14th, 1995 in the Kansas City Hotel, which is Kansas City Hotel restaurant. I think we're serving as the, as the weigh-in locations. And who's sitting there at the table with Peyton Sher and Floyd Patterson? Guess who? Mr. Russell. Yeah. So anyway, I walk over. I said, excuse me, Mr. Patterson. He goes, yeah, because he thought I was going to talk to him. I said, I'm about to kick this MF's ass. Could you please move for a second, please, sir? I don't want to get you involved with this. So he goes, okay. And he gets up and he stands away. I said, okay, come on, punk, let's go. So I call Russell out. He is not moving. I sort of picked up my tone a little bit more and made it a little bit more accentuated. He still wasn't moving. I reached across the table and grabbed him on the shirt and tried to drag him out. And he was holding onto the table. He wouldn't let go. He wouldn't let go. This was a big sissy, big puss, okay? So anyway, I that was the end of that. Security comes over and says, leave the little bussy alone. I said, okay. I said, hey, Russell, I said, you're a punk, and you know that. Anyway, bottom line was I see Floyd Patterson in the hotel the very next day. I think we're going to breakfast about 8, 30, or 9 o'clock. So I walk into the elevator, and there's Floyd Patterson, former two-time world heavyweight champion, former athletic commissioner commissioner for the New York State Athletic Commission. Um, he's had some memory problems with Alzheimer's. He would die from eventually, but... He was okay at this point in time, I think, in his life in 1995. So I walk in the elevator, and I don't know what to say because, you know, I, I, I sort of – I thought I sort of embarrassed myself, and, and I didn't know if it was appropriate because Floyd was just the most mild-mannered guy in the entire world. I mean, if there was a – if ever there was a priest that became a boxer or a priest boxer or a priest heavyweight champion, I think it was Floyd Patterson, okay? He was just that much of a saintly guy. He just was the nicest guy you could ever imagine meeting, period. I think Floyd would feed you if he if you were hungry. That's that's what a great guy, a benevolent man Floyd Patterson was. So we're sitting in the elevator, or I, I jump in the elevator and I see him, and I've got a thousand things on my mind, so I'm going to do the television, televising the fight that night, and with Burt Sugar, of course, the Ring Magazine alumni, the, the icon that he is. So I'm standing there, and I don't really know what to say, so I don't know whether I'm still going to apologize to Floyd Patterson or what, so I started to go, I go, I go, Floyd, I said, I want to say to you. No, you don't got to say nothing. You don't got to, you don't have to say nothing. And I said, what do you, I'm sitting there, I said, what do you mean I don't have to say nothing? I think I need to say something here. He goes, no, you don't have to say nothing, son. He goes, listen, he goes, I knew you were dead serious. He goes, when you told that guy to move, when you told that boy to move and he didn't move, he says, I knew you were dead serious. He goes, that's why I got up and got out the way. He goes, I didn't want to get in your way, no doubt about that. I said, well, you didn't get my way. You saw he sort of sissied out on that one. He goes, yeah, I did. He goes, he goes, man, you're the man. He goes, and I knew it. So that was me getting props from Floyd Patterson. I really dug that. It was a memorable moment in my career, of course. Kansas City, June 15th, 1995. You're tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide, baby. We are the Debt Destroyer Network. Any debt you have. 
credit card, tax, student loan debt. Call now for free information that helps you destroy your debt. It's great advice. Plus, when you make this free call now, we have debt destroyer experts ready to help. They can show you how to destroy your debt and get your life back on track. Debt problems don't have to be overwhelming. You can live stress-free and debt-free. Credit cards, medical bills, IRS tax problems, even student loan debt. Learn about free programs offered by the credit card companies, hospitals, and even the government that can help slash your debt. Call the Debt Destroyer now for free information. Call now. 877-360-0402-877-360-0402-877-360-0402. That's 877-360-0402. It has been said that everyone has a book in them. But do you have the time or the ability to write your book? Maybe you picked up some skills or had a life experience that you want to pass on in the form of a book to help others. Maybe you want to leave an autobiography for your family. Or maybe you've built a successful business and you want to share your story. At Dorrance Publishing Company, we have professional writers who can help turn your book idea into a finished manuscript quickly and affordably. A Dorrance ghostwriter can provide as much or as little help as you need to complete your book. You'll work directly with your ghostwriter to finish your book faster than you ever could on your own. It's easy to become a published author. Call Dorrance now to learn more. 800-485-6003-800-485-6003-800-485-6003. Call right now. That number is 800-485-6003. Do you owe $10,000 or more on at least two federal student loans? Then you may qualify for new programs offered by the Department of Education. These programs can reduce your interest, lower your payments, and possibly qualify you for loan forgiveness. If you have $10,000 or more and at least two federal student loans and currently not in school, you may qualify for one of these programs. Call now to check your eligibility. Student loan advisors are standing by to help you determine if you qualify for these new programs. They can help you reduce your interest, lower your payment, and even forgive a portion of your student loan debt. Take control of your financial future. Make this free five-minute free call now to Nationwide Student Loans and learn how you can reduce your student loan debt. 800-439-7851. 800-439-7851. 800-439-7851. 800-439-7851. Now more of Ring Talk. With Pedro Fernandez. Heavyweight boxing, and that is why it is always something special. Talk about this stuff which they put on in cages nowadays when anything goes. You can keep it so far as I'm concerned. You got pride, you're going to get up. He's Buster Douglas, going to lay down for the money. We're talking heavyweight champions on Ring Talk Live Worldwide, especially two-hour edition of the Sunday show. Of course, talking heavyweight champions both hours. From all the guys that I've met and the guys that hung around, the guys I got to spend time with, I'm trying to bring you them. Of course, not going to get everybody, but I will get to Lennox Lewis. Of course, the 1980 Olympic gold medalist, 41 and 2 as a pro, 32 kills. When I first met him, I thought he might have been gay. I'm serious. I mean, I just got that. He was just so mild-mannered. and I thought he'd been keen. I thought he was gay. So then I ran into Dolly. And Dolly and I were talking about Mike Tyson. We were sitting. I was buying her drinks at the Mandalay Bay Hotel. I guess it was about 1995, 1996, somewhere around there. 
Anyway, Tyson was back out of jail and fighting. So I'm buying this hooker drinks. Not that I want to bang her. I'm buying her to, you know, to get her to talk, make her talk some more. So she's, she's talking about Mike Tyson. Now my, she goes, Oh, did I tell you that I slept with Lennox too? I said, wait, I said, you slept with Lennox Lewis? She goes, yeah. I go, then he's not gay. She goes, Oh no, Lennox not gay. Lennox is just a gentleman. So Mike Tyson, on the other hand, he was a beast. That's how I could figure that one out. I remember the Desiree Washington story. I read the police reports. Bottom line is, Lennox Lewis wasn't gay. I thought he was for a long time. 41-2, one draw, 32 KOs, of course. Retired after that fight with Vitaly Klitschko in 2003 when he almost got ran out of the ring, of course, by the brother, brother of Vladimir Klitschko. I didn't get into the Klitschko brothers too much, but what can I say? You only got two hours. You are tuned to Ring Talk, live or wide, 35 make that. 36 plus years now, you're inside looking the world of boxing and MMA. My name is Pedro Fernandez. You know, there's a million things you can be doing right now. The fact you listen to Ring Talk Live Worldwide, production of Sports Byline, well, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. This is Ring Talk Live Worldwide, produced by Scott Cuddy, a production of Sports Byline. I love sports.